podcast partner of phillyisflyer.com. This is Getting Bullied, and a very somber Getting Bullied at that. The Flyers' season is over as of Sunday afternoon. They fall again to the Pittsburgh Penguins, 4-2 the final game count in the series. And um, with me, as always, to break down everything from a dreadful Flyers playoff run is the great writer from phillyisflyer.com, the man, Dan Silver. Dan, what's up, bud? Oh, it's we got we're to the off season now. It's uh it's you're right, it's it's depressing. I mean there's no Flyers hockey to bitch about coming up and what what are we gonna do without having Dave Hackstall's horrible game day decisions and in game decisions to berate on a daily basis? It's it's very upsetting, you know, it's um at least the game Sunday was a little more uh, exciting than the last games, although the result was pretty much the same. But uh, but now we turn our attention to the off season and expiring contracts and the draft and and all that good stuff. So bring it on. But of course we we need to recap the season a little bit. But you know it's 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 uh, bittersweet. It is. And uh, you were down there on Sunday. You were down at the game. Kind of go into what the atmosphere was like because the Flyers were uh, they were playing well for a large majority of the game. They had the lead. They were up four two, and then uh, Pittsburgh got one at the end of the second. And going in, and then once the third hit, it's it's like the wheels just fell off the wagon, and the Flyers could just never keep up. But what was what was the crowd like? Obviously, we know that you know shit was thrown on the ice again. Uh, but what was from start to finish, what was the crowd kind of like? What was the atmosphere? And were there as many empty seats as I keep seeing on Twitter? So I was I, I went to the game with a little, little bit, you know, with some trepidations about the crowd because, uh, you know, I've got season tickets, but leave, living in D.C., I sell a lot of my tickets. And I didn't go to either of the first few games. Um, but the regular season games I went to were very, very quiet. Like, the arena was way too quiet to the point where it was almost uncomfortable. And playoffs, obviously, they got blown out both of the first two games at home. So I was a little bit concerned that the atmosphere is not going to be great, especially since it was an elimination game. Obviously, if the Flyers had been up three games to two and had a chance to close it out, you would have expected the crowd to be really rowdy. But I was a little worried that the crowd might not be rowdy. That being said... I was very pleasantly surprised with the energy that the crowd had. I mean, from the start of the game, the crowd was in it, into it. It certainly helped that Sean Couturier scored a goal, you know, two minutes into the game. But even when the Flyers, you know, even when the Flyers went down two to one, the crowd was still getting some "Let's Go Flyers" chants going. So I was, I was very pleased with with what the crowd brought to the game, you know, until sort of. Things unraveled in the third period, and especially uh, with that Chris Letang sort of like trip slash slew foot, whatever it was, on Couturier that led to the goal. And that's when people started freaking out at the refs, throwing stuff on the ice, which you just hate seeing. I mean, people were throwing full beer cans on the ice. Needless to mention that people, you know, you pay $8.50 for these beers, but now you're going to throw them on the ice? It's dangerous. So it's just... It's embarrassing when you're in a game and you see people throwing stuff on the ice like that. 
But I, I thought the crowd had a lot more energy than I was expecting. And so that was I thought that was that was exciting at least. Yeah, I don't um I always whenever there's the throwing of shit on the ice, you get the uh the tweets and the articles and how embarrassing another black mark on the eye of Philadelphia and stuff like that. I really I never have much of a problem with people throwing shit on a playing surface. I find it to be comical. Um, I remember I was watching a baseball playoff game a few years back in Toronto where they were just raining beer cans and bottles down on the field. I get a kick out of shit like that. I don't care. You know, I'm not like, I don't get embarrassed. I don't really care what people do. You know, it's obviously not right, but... You know, when when you're that upset, we've all been upset to a point where we do dumb shit. And when you're that upset, you spend all that money, a team lays an egg like that. You know, you, you kind of lose lose sense of judgment. But I understand why people don't like it. But it is what it is. But um, yeah, I mean, the Flyers, this whole playoff series up until you know Game Six on Sunday, there was no home ice advantage for them whatsoever. And a lot of that was due to their play on the ice. I mean, when you're out of a game halfway through the second period, it's it's really hard for the fans to get into it, even in this city, even in the playoffs, when you see the way that the team is playing on the ice and they just don't have it. It's The fans feed off of something. If the play on the ice is shitty, if it's not going well, then they're not going to have the energy that the players need. I mean, it's it's a weird dynamic. It's a weird you know, dependence on each other. The fans need the players and the players need the fans, but it really all starts with the players. And they came out hot on Sunday. They got the quick goal. Things looked good for, you know, the first 40 really of the game. Uh, I'm thinking I'm watching. I'm thinking, okay, this is it. Like we're, we're going to seven here. And the old cliche is, you know, anything can happen in a game seven. And to an extent that's true, but then, you know, the third period comes and it's like a steel toe boot to the gut. And next thing you know, the season's over. And here we are, uh, you know, kind of just left out in the rain again and watching everybody else have all the fun. Yeah, you know, it was almost like a mercy that the Flyers lost this game from the respect that the two best players for the Flyers in the series were Sean Couturier and Ivan Provorov. And both guys were just so banged up for game, well, Couturier for games five and six, which we found out was a torn MCL. And Ivan Provorov, you know, was rammed into the boards at the end of game five. He, you know, came out to try and finish game five and couldn't which obviously was a sign that there's something really wrong there because he's a machine engineered in a underground Siberian bunker. <laughs> so everyone was wondering what's going to happen with him. And he came out and he was, I mean, I was specific, specifically focused on Ivan Krovrov from the start. And he just, he could not shoot the puck. He wasn't able to make long passes. And he just wasn't, it was, he wasn't comfortable when the puck was on his stick or coming back to him either. So like Ivan Provorov was completely not effective in the game. And, you know, that's sort of what cost him the game in the third period, the third period starts and a puck gets played back towards Provorov and he just literally could not play the puck. And the 
turnover occurs and the Penguins score, make it a 5-4 game. And then the Penguins just, you know, they just kept extending the lead. So from that respect, and I posted something on Twitter today, you know, what were they, the Flyers going to do if they kept winning? Because the way the Provorov was playing, there's clearly something wrong with him that needs more than a, a few days or a week to get better. So I, I thought it was, you know, you saw the quotes after the game from Provorov that if his arm was attached to his body, he was going to play. Yeah, right. That's great. That's what you want to hear from the player. We want players who want to play unless their arms are cut off or they're decapitated or something. You know, Rad Gugus decapitates them in practice like you're trying to do to Couturier. But at some point, a decision has to be made by the coach or the GM or the, the doctors on the team that, hey, this guy literally can't, can't shoot the puck. He can't pass the puck. He can't handle the puck. Maybe you'd be better off with Travis Sanheim, who's healthy, as opposed to Ivan Provorov, who can't play. So I, I sort of – I get it, and I forgive it a little bit, because it's almost like the Flyers were expecting to get bounced by the Penguins, either in Game 6 or Game 7. And so, okay, let's let Ivan play. But he really should not have been playing in that hockey game. And God forbid, you know, someone rams him into the boards and he really screws up your shoulder – that's on the coaches. That's on, on the staff. So, you know, I, um, I just thought that with our two best players injured, it was almost a mercy that they lost the game and sort of an inevitability. But mm-hmm. obviously still disappointing. You know, we had a chance. We were up 4-2. to two. We had a chance to take it to a game seven, and it just it wasn't in the cards. And I think part of the reason it wasn't in the cards is because they kept trotting Provorov out there, and he, he really couldn't play. So, you know, um, I don't know. That's that's my piece on that. I mean, Ivan Provorov's a complete warrior. He's my favorite player on the team, but uh, I, I don't I don't think he should have been playing as much. They could have at least dressed seven defensemen and had Sandheim ready in case it was clear that Provorov wasn't healthy. The other player who was horrible in the series, or not, I mean, I wasn't horrible, but a player who wasn't good in the series was Shane Gostas Bear. Mm-hmm. I was watching him pretty carefully. He also looked like he was having trouble stick handling, didn't want to shoot the puck. He shot. He had a couple shots on a power play when they had the four on three, but it was basically because he had no other choice. I wonder if something's going on with Sean Shane Gostas Maybe his wrist is injured or something because he was not good in the series, and he was so good during the season that I think something had to be going on. So, you know, you say Provorov and Gostas Bear are injured. The Flyers don't anything else from a defensive perspective. They, they're relying on Andrew McDonald to score goals from the point. So, again, you know, I, I think that with the injuries and, and some of the potential injuries that they had, it, it was probably a mercy that the series ended. Yeah, I mean, it, it, to me it's incredible the transformation that we've seen Sean Couturier go through in the course of a year. Um Last offseason, me and you were doing this podcast, and we're talking about that neither one of us really thought Sean Couturier could handle being a first-line center, and he played well all season. You know, obviously he had a career year, and he was just he was a pleasure to watch all season. He was one of the driving points of the team was his play. And in the playoffs, you know – you tear your M- it, it, the whole that whole situation. You tear your MCL colliding with a player 
in practice, your own player in practice, and then you come out in a elimination game, the biggest game of the season, and you put up five points, you score three goals, and you do it all with really one leg because that, I mean, and I don't know what they do for something like that. If they shoot it up with whatever, Novocaine, whatever, to numb it or or if you could even do that with a knee, because you need to, you know, obviously balance on it and, and shit like that. I don't know what they do. I don't know what the precautions they took for him to get into that game. But whatever he was feeling, whatever pain he was feeling, he threw it out the window and came out on fire and really did things in that game that we haven't seen. We haven't seen a performance like that in the playoffs in some time, and it was incredible. And it it just you hope that this season wasn't just a flash in the pan for Sean Couturier and he could take it into next season and even further than that. But I, I agree with you 100% on the Ivan Provorov thing. He is the Russian Wolverine, apparently, as you say, made in a laboratory in Siberia. He's got metal coursing through his body everywhere except, I guess, his shoulder. And I don't know what you would have done if you're the Flyers. And... By the grace of God, you won that game, and you won game seven, and now you're going to the second round, and your best defenseman can't do shit with the puck because he's hurt. I don't know what they would have done. I mean, you're right. It's like, it's bittersweet, and it's almost to the Flyers' favor, and it's a weird thing to say, but it's almost to their favor that they lost this game and they lost this series because clearly... A lot of their top players, not 100%. You know, Wayne Simmons, we've been speculating for weeks and months now that he's been hurt. You're noticing things with Shane Gossespierre that perhaps he could have been hurt. We know about Provorov. We know about um, Couturier. We know about Brian Elliott, even though he didn't play the last couple games. But obviously, he wasn't 100% coming back from his injury. This team was beat the hell up going into this playoff series. And the series didn't help them at all because they got more unhealthy as the series, as the series went on. And, you know, obviously it played a big, a big role in the outcome of the series. It was a huge detriment to the Flyers. I don't know that they would have won anyway if everybody was 100%. But, I mean, right now you're just – we're all in this pattern of, okay, it's over. Everybody get healthy. Fix your shoulder. Fix your knee. Fix whatever the hell's going on. Wayne Simmons – and just look ahead to the draft at this point because that's that's the next big thing for us. Yeah, the funny thing about Couturier, I mean, that was arguably the, the best single-game performance that I've ever seen from a Flyers forward. Keith Primo had some games where he, he dominated like that. Uh, I forget what year it was. Uh, I think the year that the Flyers went to the conference finals. 2004. Yep. And he was absolutely phenomenal, had some dominant games. But Sean Couturier on a torn MCL, what he did in that game was insane. And what I thought was hilarious was John Baruch, who everyone loves to rip, you know, the columnist for uh, Comcast Sportsnet, uh, NBC Sports Philly. He's, you know, he loves picking on Shane Gossesbury. He just has idiotic opinions. He did the three stars of the game. He didn't have Sean Couturier as the first star of the game. Look, I get it. Jake Gensel scored four goals, but most of those goals were like right in front of the net on perfect setups. Mm-hmm. Sean Couturier absolutely dominated the game from a Flyers perspective. That flip pass that he had to Scott Lawton 
setting up the uh, Lawton wrist shot that was a weak goal from Matt Murray. That was an insane flip pass. And the shorthanded goal that Sean Couturier scored was ridiculous. So I thought it was funny that uh, John Burrock is like one last troll for Flyers fans. He gives the first star of the game at home to Jake Gensel. It's ridiculous. But yeah, Couturier was, oh my God. It's, uh, I'm glad that guy will have some time to rest up. And as you mentioned, the Flyers have got a lot of decisions this offseason. So, you know, if you, you look at their roster, they've got um, five expiring contracts. So the Taylor Lear is an expiring restricted free agent. I assume they'll probably sign him again, and he'll spend most of the year with the Phantoms or – uh, you know, I think he has to clear waivers, actually. But um, whatever, Taylor Lear. Uh, Sam Morant is a free agent. That's an interesting one. You know, you assume they'll they'll sign him, but he's going to be um, – to go back to the Phantoms, if they sign him, he's going to have to clear waivers. So Sam Morant will probably either be traded this offseason or he's going to have to start the season with the Flyers or on injured reserve because they cannot send him to the Phantoms next season without him clearing through waivers. And I highly doubt that a first-round pick who's 6'7 and plays with his physical game is going to clear waivers. um, Robert Haig is a restricted free agent. You assume that they will probably re-sign him to a, uh, I don't know what kind of deal, probably a two- or three-year bridge deal, I would think, maybe for, uh, you know, one and a half million a year, something like that. The two unrestricted free agents and sort of the most interesting ones are Brandon Manning, who's currently making 975000 and Valtteri Filpula making $5 million. So this is, you know, a lot of Flyers fans are like scared to death that the team's going to bring back Brandon Manning and or Valtteri Filpula. Couturier gets injured. This idiotic head coach puts Filpula on the first line. He played great in game five. He, uh, he helped them win the game, but he's just not a first-line center. He's really not a third-line center either for this team. And Brandon Manning, I mean, him and Gudis were, like, immune to getting scratched. And Manning was taking a roster spot that really belonged to either Sanheim or Haig because they refused to have both of those kids in the lineup for the most part. All of that being said, I do not think that they're going to bring back either Phil Bila or Manning. It's more Hextall's decision than Dave Hextall. And I, I just can't imagine that with the defensive depth that the Flyers have coming, that they are going to re-sign Manning so that they block them. The same thing with Phil Pula. They've got guys that could be the third-line center next year. You know, you, you look at a Scott Lawton. You look at even Yuri Laterra, who signed for another year, they could put in that spot. Uh, Morgan Frost is going to have a chance. Um, Mikhail Vorobiev is going to have a chance. So I – I don't think they're going to sign Phil, re-sign Phil Peel or Manning. People are really scared about it. And then there's a couple other guys. You mentioned Wayne Simmons that are not free agents this season, but that they could move in the offseason. So, you know, Wayne Simmons, he did not have a great year. I mean, he scored 24 goals, but half of them were on the power play. And most of his value this season came on the power play. Uh, but then he was taken off of the first unit. So Dave Haxtell put Nolan Patrick on the first unit. If Wayne Simmons is not playing on the first unit power play for the Flyers, he is not very useful for this team. He, we're going to find out this week if he was playing with some injuries and maybe needs some surgery. He made a comment to a reporter yesterday 
who asked him, you know, what's, what's his injury status? Did he have some injuries? And Simmons said, you'll find out later this week. So that leads, leads you to believe that Simmons was playing with some injuries. But it's hard to imagine that they're going to re-sign him at the end of next season. And I don't think Ron Hextall wants to lose him for nothing. So this offseason, I think they're going to be looking to shop Wayne Simmons. Radko Gudis, who, you know, the uh, most notable thing he did this season was injure Sean Couturier and get suspended for trying to chop off an opposing player's head. Uh, he's signed for $3.3 million through the next two years. I think they're going to – I'll put it this way. I think one of Brandon Manning and Radko Gudis is not back next year because they got to make a spot for, um, you know, Haig or Sanheim. Or both Haig and Sanheim need to be in the lineup, which means they're going to have to move. One of their defensemen is probably going to be Gudis or just not re-sign Manning. But Radko Gudis was horrible in the playoffs. I mean, yeah, a couple of those goals – in game six were completely his fault. He just couldn't clear the zone. So I think they're going to try and move Gudis. I don't know if anyone will take him. They might have to like throw him into a deal basically and eat some of his salary. But uh, so, yeah, so I don't think they're going to resign Phil Beal or Manning. And I think that well, I think they only resign Manning if they're able to trade Gudis. But um, aside from that, I don't see any, like people are calling for the Flyers to buy out Yuri Laterra. He's got one more season. Buy out, buy out Dale Weiss. He's got a couple more seasons. You know, buy out Michael Neuverth. I don't think Ron Hextall is going to buy anyone out this offseason simply because, you know, the way these buyouts work is that let's take Yuri Laterra, for example. If they, if the Flyers keep him on the roster, next year he will cost them $4.7 million against the cap. But after that, he will not be on the cap. His contract is up. If you buy out a player, you get cap relief for the year that he signed for, but then you also have to pay some money uh, the, for as many years as he still has left on his contract. So letera has got one year left on his contract. That means they add one year to what they pay Letera. So he's, he's set to make $4.7 million next year. If they buy him out, he'll make, against the cap, $1.4 million next year, but the following year he'll still be – on the cap for about 1.7 million so i think ron hextall knows that this team's probably not going to win a stanley cup next season so i don't think he wants to necessarily take on debt in years forward when the guy will be off the off the payroll at the end of next season so i i don't really see any buyouts coming i think they might try and trade michael neuberth of course he's the guy who ended up as a starter the last two games but he's so injury prone that I think there's a, a relatively high chance they will try to trade Michael Neuberth. But uh, again, I, I don't know if there's going to be any takers. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting things happening in the offseason. And the Flyers have got two picks in the top 20 in the draft. So Textile's got a lot of ammunition if he wants to make some moves. What's what's biggest, I think, for the Flyers in the offseason is the fact that they're finally going to have some cap relief, some cap room, because they haven't had it in so long. Paul Holmgren just handcuffed them for so long with bad contract after bad contract, and finally they're going to have some money to play with. But that's to me, is more it's, – it's another interesting thing that Ron Hextall uh, to, to look out for from him because – you mentioned all these young guys that they have in the system that could potentially come up, and then you know we're talking about moving guys like Simmons and or and uh, Gudis or you know whoever, but then you know you you have you have this money. At what point do you do you start looking for guys to sign, and 
or do you just bring up the guys that you already have? Now, I, I agree with you. I think Gudis, to trade him, is probably next to impossible unless, like you said, it's a sweetener on a deal if you could really consider him a sweetener and you're eating, and you're eating money. And kind of the same thing with Neuwirth. You know, each of those guys kind of have their own problems. Neuwirth can't stay healthy. Radko Gudis can't stay, you know, out of suspension, it seems like. Um, and even Wayne Simmons. Now, again, I think once the injury comes out on him, that will probably explain some things for the other teams in the league, teams that are looking for a guy like him. Um, you know, I always see Calgary floated out there on Twitter because they keep mentioning they're trying to get tougher and, you know, Wayne Simmons fits that, but you know, he had it down year by his standards, you know, 24 goals as opposed to 30 the year before and even the year before that. But I think once this, I'm hoping once the injury comes out on him, that teams will be like, okay, so it wasn't the fact that he just, his play fell off for no reason. It was, there was a reason behind it. So now hopefully at that point, teams are more willing to spend more for him. Maybe you can, you know, maybe you, you bring in the veteran defenseman or something like that with a Simmons and a Gudis or whoever. There's so much the Flyers can do. And I've been saying this for a while now, but this is this is the offseason for Ron Hextall because now he has money, he has assets, he has, you know, both in the in, in terms of draft picks, prospects, which I don't really see him moving, but now he has some players on the roster that he could – you know, try to get rid of, clear up more room for players and money. So this is such a this is such a big off season for Ron Hextall. Um, and of course, everyone is talking about firing the coach. That's probably not going to happen. Um, I think the the leash on the coach is definitely shorter after this playoff series. After seeing how the team played and how badly coached a lot of those games were, you know, the lack of moves made in game, the lack of adjustments and just, you know, really the overall coaching job, not just by Dave Haxall, but by the coaching staff as a whole, you know, the penalty kill wasn't the best. The power play wasn't the best. So everyone's going to get looked at on that staff. I think Le Perrier is probably going to be the sacrificial lamb because, you know, they like Knobloch and just Haxall's just not going to go anywhere. At least not this off season. If we're having the same conversation next season, then maybe, but, this is this is it. This is it for Ron. I don't. I don't mean this is it. Like it's do or die for Ron Hextall this summer. But this is definitely where we're going to see his chops as a general manager outside of the draft. We see how good he is at drafting these players. How good he is at scouting these players. But this off season is where we're really going to see how he is at running a hockey team from the other aspects of the job, not just the draft board. Now that you have cap space, what do you do with it? How do you dole out this money that you have now? How do you bring along these young guys that some may be ready to play in the NHL? How do you make that decision? So this is there's a lot of weight on Ron Hextall's shoulders this offseason, and it's I mean it's on him at this point to put a better team on the ice next season than there was this season. The inconsistent play can't happen next season. The we're good for five games, bad for ten. That's all got to go. We need to see consistent improvement from start to finish next offseason or next season. And God willing, they make the playoffs next season. 
it, you, they can't shit the bed like they did in this round against the Penguins because that's when things are going to start to get ugly around here and the seat under Ron Hextall's ass is going to start warming up considerably. Yeah, it's uh, – and I – I failed to mention I missed a couple of the free agents just quickly to cover Peter Mrazek, uh, who's the goalie. I, there's He's a restricted free agent. I'd say there's almost no chance that he gets re-signed because if they clearly don't like him much. They didn't use him in the playoffs. And uh, if he's re-signed, the Flyers have to give a third-round pick next year to the Red Wings. So he, he ain't going to be re-signed. Mm-hmm. And then Matt Reed. You talked about a lot of, of, of money coming available with the Flyers. Matt Reed's an unrestricted free agent. He makes $3.6 million. They're not going to re-sign him. So – if they don't resign Phil Bila, they don't resign Reed. That's eight point six million. They don't resign Oduya. That's nine point six million. Manning makes it ten point six million. So you know, as you said, they're going to have a lot of space, cap space, and it's this is the first offseason that, that I don't think Ron Hextall is going to make a big splash in terms of a signing because I don't think there's a signing out there that puts this team over the top. I know a couple weeks ago you mentioned you wanted to talk about John Tavares. And we certainly can talk about John Tavares. He's obviously the the big free agent out there. And it seems like the more and more that the situation lingers with the Islanders, they didn't trade him at the trade deadline. They didn't extend him. It, it certainly seems like John Tavares is not going to re-sign there. <laughs> obviously, that would be uh, incredible if the Flyers signed him. But he's not a perfect fit because he's obviously a center and the mm-hmm. flyers are incredibly deep at center with Sean Couturier, Nolan Patrick, um, Morgan Frost coming up. So in you know, Clodger can shift over to center if needed. Scott Lawton. It's, it's just, it's not a perfect fit because the flyers have two really good centers. So I guess, unless you're going to make, you know, you're going to make, um, Tavares play wing, which I doubt. I also just, you know, the teams you hear talking about Tavares are mainly teams like the Maple Leafs, where it seems like he would like to go. He could be second line center there, or the uh, San Jose Sharks. So, you know, Tavares is the one really, really fantastic superstar that's a free agent. Um, from a, you know, defensive perspective, John Carlson is going to make a shitload of money. He's a, he's an unrestricted free agent. He's he'll probably make it eight to eight and a half million. I, I don't think the Flyers are going to want to shell out for him. I think that if Ron Hextall makes a splash this offseason, it's it's going to come more via a trade than via a free agent. I guess Rick Nash is a guy who's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Again, I don't think the Flyers want to spend the money to go after a guy like that. But um, but you never know. But the point is. Hextel's going to have money to do things and he can keep banking that money because if he doesn't think that next year, the team's got a shot for the cup, well then keep waiting and then see, you know, which of these guys become free agents at the end of next year. Let's, let's take a quick look here next. So yeah, I mean, next season you've got, you know, Eric Carlson and Drew Dowdy are both free agents. If you want to go after a huge impact defenseman at the end of next off season. And then you've got guys like Artemi Panarin, Matt Duchesne, Jordan Eberle, Tyler Sagan, Jeff, Jeff Skinner. These guys are all unrestricted free agents at the end of next season. So yeah. I, I almost would rather see Hextel bank money and, and maybe try and go after one of those guys the following offseason. So I don't think he's going to go after a big free agent this offseason. He could make some tr- interesting trades, though. You mentioned beefing up on defense or, not, you know, not scrimming, uh, you know, 
sumo warrior, sumo wrestler size perspective, but just in terms of impact players on defense. One guy that, that people have been talking about the Flyers going after is Dougie Hamilton. He's a big right-handed defenseman for the Calgary Flames. He's kind of in the same mold as, uh, you know, Phil Myers. His upside is kind of like Dougie Hamilton. He would be a great player for the Flyers to add. Calgary missed the playoffs. Their season was a disaster. They're looking to make moves. They just changed their coach. You could maybe try and, you know, ship a first-round pick and Wayne Simmons and a prospect to Calgary and try and get Dougie Hamilton. Man, talk about a, a top pair of Ivan Provorov and Dougie Hamilton and then you know, Shane Gostisbehere and Travis Sanheim on the, the second pairing where Phil Myers works out eventually, Shane Gostisbehere and Phil Myers. And that would be two insane pairings. So, you know, that's, that's one idea, trade for a guy like Dougie Hamilton. Another idea is, you know, something the Flyers really are missing is a goal-scoring winger. So you could either try and potentially, you know, wait until guys like Panarin and Duchesne are free agents at the end of next season. You could try and trade for a guy, um, you know, like a uh, Mike Hoffman on Ottawa. Maybe he's a guy that you would look to trade for. Or they are four very good wingers at the top of this year's draft. And I think that the Flyers, if I'm Ron Hextel, I'm working the phones to see if I can move up into the top seven. So you've got um, the two really, the, the top pick's going to be a defenseman, Rasmus Dahlin. He's incredible. But after him, the, the consensus top two players are Philip Zadina, who's a goal-scoring winger from the Czech Republic, and uh, Sveshnikov, who's a very good Russian winger, big guy, sort of like in the Malkin mold. Those guys are expected to go 2-3. It would take a mint to get up and trade for one of them. But then you look at picks like 4, 5, 6, 7, and there's two wingers. One of them's name is Oliver Wallstrom, who's a uh, U.S. winger. I mean, he can really put the puck in the net. Great goal scorer. And then Brady Kachuk, who's Keith Kachuk's son, brother of Matthew Kachuk. He plays more of that flyer-style hockey. All four of those are high-end wingers who have the upside to be number one wingers in the NHL. And I think the Flyers are going to want to look to, to see if they can package one of their picks, both of their picks. Right now their picks are going to be 14 and 19. That could still potentially change. If the St. Louis Blues move up to the top three, there's a 5% chance of that happening, and then the Blues keep their pick. But it's 95% the Flyers are going to have the 14th pick, and then they'll probably have the 19th pick. So you could move one or both of those picks, you could package one of the picks with Wayne Simmons, and – you know, maybe Robert Haig or Sam Moran or a German Rupsov to try and move up into the top top five. So there's just there's a lot of permutations of ways that Ron Hextall could try and improve this team in the offseason because I think guys like Sveshnikov and Zadina might make the NHL next year, Brady Kachuk too. So, you know, that's if I was him, that's what I'd be looking to do. I'd be looking to move into the top five and get one of those high-impact wingers. But um, – but it is. It's going to be a lot of fun because, you know, there's some expiring contracts and there's no free agents that they need to sign for a lot of money. Right Next offseason, Ivan Provorov's a free agent. Travis Konechny's a free agent. They're going to have to shell out Boku bucks to keep those guys in the fold. And obviously they will. But this offseason, you're not spending much money. So it's there's a lot of possibilities out there. Now, you mentioned two big names on the uh... – free agency list for next season, uh, Eric Carlson and Matthew Shane. 
Now, we already talked about all the assets they have and things like that. And you mentioned Ron Hextall making a trade this offseason. Would it, wouldn't it, if you wanted a guy like, like either of those, I mean, thinking of Carlson and Provorov on the top pairing is, you know, it makes your head spin. And wouldn't it make more sense for the Flyers if they really wanted one of those guys? And I don't know what their interest is in either one of them, but to go for them this offseason so then next season they control them and they can get them signed before they even hit the free agent market and these other big numbers start coming at them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's something to be said for that. There's risk, too, because you're going to have right. to pay a ransom to get Aaron Carlson. There's no guarantee that he's going to re-sign with you. So, I mean, you can work out a deal where it's a sign-and-trade. So, Aaron Carlson agrees to re-sign with you before you trade for him. So, obviously, that's something Hextall might look to do if he wants to trade for one of those guys. Uh, but but there is some risk if you trade for a guy and don't know he's going to resign because you're going to have to give up a ton to get a Carlson or a Duchesne, obviously more so a Carlson. He's you know, one of the premier defensemen in hockey. If you and him and Provorov on the ice at the same time, I'm not sure the other team would touch the puck. You'd have to throw another puck out on the ice so that the other team players could play with it. Um, you know, Again, I just, I'm not sure Hextall's ready to make a splash like that. I feel like they're one year away from that. So, but it's, it's a great point that if you want one of those guys, even like, a, I think Columbus is going to try everything they can to re-sign Artemi Panarin. I love Artemi Panarin. Yeah, I think he's, he's the most underrated superstar in the NHL. I, I mean, I think he's better than Alexander Ovechkin. You watch them play in the series together. I would love to add Artemi Panarin to this team. And, uh, you know, I don't think Columbus is going to trade him to us, but if they don't resign him, he's a guy you could go after. But, yeah, there's 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 plenty of targets out there. The good thing is Ron Hextall has so many prospects that he's going to have to start moving some at some point because you mm-hmm. simply can't sign them all to contracts. There's a limited amount of contracts you can give out to players, and the Flyers are already having to put some decent players back into the draft because they simply can't sign them. So I think that Hextall might, you know, he might be open to trading guys like German Rupsov, Maxim Sushko, guys who still have some, some good value as prospects, Tanner Lazinski, and, you know, try and uh, try and do that to, to add real impact pieces. He's got, he's got all of the pieces in the organization, draft picks and players to do that. Yeah. See, that's my point. They have this, I don't want to say logjam because I think that has kind of a negative connotation to it, but they have this this plethora of, of these prospects and these draft picks. And for this team to really turn the corner, for them to really become a serious cup contender in the next three years, you have to start looking at established NHL talent to put on this team. You know, you're going to... If, it doesn't do you much good to have all these prospects if, like you said, you have to start putting them back in the draft or if you have to struggle to create roster spots for them and then you're just wasting years for them down in the minors and stuff like that. I, there, I mean, I, I think a lot of people are knowing that Eric Carlson probably won't return to Ottawa after next season. And... You know, who knows about Matt Duchesne? You know, he went, he wanted to leave Colorado because he wanted to go to, he wanted to go to a playoff team. He goes to Ottawa and they shit the bed. They didn't even come close to the playoffs. So 
chances are he doesn't want to go back to Ottawa either. And obviously, if you're Ottawa, you want to start rebuilding your team, and you look at a team like the Flyers, I mean, who the hell knows if Ottawa's general manager's not calling Hextall, saying, hey, you got a lot of uh, young guys, and we have, you know, two guys that can help you out now. You're a lot closer than we are. What do you think? Let's get something going. And I would agree with you. I don't think there's any chance Artemi Panarin leaves Columbus. It would be astonishing if a guy of his level of play was on three different teams in whatever it would be, four years or, or whatever it would be after this season or after next season. Um, but I think there's guys out there and there seems even Sagan with the stars, you know, they're not, you know, the, the stars are like one year they're in the playoffs and next year they're not. They're kind of just a wishy-washy bottom you know, of the playoff picture team in the Western Conference, that could be another team that wants to start replenishing some assets and just kind of look to the future a little bit and might want to give up a guy like Tigers, Tyler Sagan. Now, who knows? You're right. Who knows what Ron Hexall is thinking? He may want to wait another season to bring up another crop of young players, put them in the lineup, see what he has, and then next offseason – where they're going to have a little bit more money freed up, say, okay, we need this guy, this guy, and this guy. Let's go after them, see who wants to sign, make a decision based on that. But I think to be progressive about this, to think down the road, and to think if we can have a Sagan, a Duchesne, a Carlson in the fold now, in our control, and you're not making any of those moves unless you have the deal in place for that player. You're not just going to throw away prospects and picks on a hope and a prayer that this guy's going to want to sign with you, you know, if he likes how the see how the one season goes, you're going to have him for. But to have one of those guys in the fold and to now control their contract and their rights is huge because we've seen it before when players like that hit free agency, the money starts flying around on those first couple of days, and. It, you know, if you're a smart guy and a patient guy like Ron Hextall, he's probably going to see some of the money getting thrown around because those are huge names that you mentioned. And it's going to be for him. He's going to say, no, I'm not I'm not going to get into a bidding war for these guys and, you know, cripple the team financially. So if you want a guy like that, their flyers are much better off trying to make a move for them this either this summer or during the season or whatever. Um I think it'd be interesting, and I, I agree with you. I don't think that they're going to – when I love John Tavares, yeah, and I brought it up a couple of weeks ago, but when you hear about the money that he's going to be potentially making and then you think about the fit on the team and everything like that, it's, it's probably not going to happen. The free agent class isn't all that astonishing. So I think I think a big move is coming this offseason, and – I think it's going to be focused around Wayne Simmons because right now I think he's the only movable piece of this core. Uh, you know, you're obviously not going to trade Giroux coming off of the season he had. You're not going to trade Couturier coming off the season he had. Jake Voracek has a about as impossible a contract as there is to move because of all the money and all the years he has left. Wayne Simmons is the guy that where he's still young enough a team can get him this season again have him under their control or have yeah have him under their control i think he's marketable he has a unique game that you know not a lot of players in this league have he's a play he's a power play machine obviously um and i think when he's healthy that he could 
obviously put the puck in the net. We've seen it the last two seasons, even this past season, 24, and he's been hurt majority of the season. I think a big move's coming. I think it's going to be around the draft, which, I mean, what, we're like two months away from at this point. So sooner rather than later, something's going to come down the pipeline and we're going to have a, a pretty significant deal to analyze made by Ron Hextall. I, yeah, I think there's, I think it's definitely a high possibility. It's people, on, it's funny, people on Twitter are kind of like almost assuming at this point that they're going to want to trade Simmons. I still have some, I don't think Ron Hextall is the kind of guy who trades players when their values at an all time low. And that's sort of where we're at with Wayne Simmons. However, it's just, since he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of next year, his value is probably going to keep diminishing simply because the team, the trade swarm, isn't going to get him for as long of a period of time. But I can also see Ron Hextall being like, this guy's going to come back healthy next year, and we're going to put him back on the first power play unit, and he's going to have a great first part of the season, and now we're, then we're going to try and move him. But I, I do I, I think it is more Hextall's MO to move a guy like that in the offseason. So I think that is the likeliest big piece that he moves. You mentioned a guy that is is an interesting case, which is Jake Voracek. You know, Jake Voracek had a phenomenal regular season. He uh, he put up 85 points. He had 65 assists, one of the league leaders in assists. But he disappeared in the playoffs. I mean, he was he scored no goals in the playoffs. He had three assists in six games. He was a minus three. He just wasn't all that good in the playoffs. Um, obviously, a lot of the guys, aside from Sean Couturier and Ivan Provorov, weren't very good in the playoffs. But Voracek really wasn't good in the playoffs. He's a guy who, I don't know, sometimes he just doesn't, you don't feel like he's putting the effort out there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they maybe try and move Voracek. His, his contract is an albatross. I mean, he signed for $8.25 million for the next seven years. But he's 28 years old, and he's, he's got so much skill that he's the kind of player you'd expect to continue putting up points. So I think Voracek is a guy they, they potentially could look to move, at least see what the market is for a guy like that. But, yeah, Simmons is the likeliest, likeliest guy that they would move. And, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to see what happens. Um, you know, one thing you mentioned briefly that I sort of – I haven't even talked about because I uh, I just – I don't think it's going to happen, but a lot of, obviously, fans want it to happen is Dave Hackstall to be fired. You know, I, I just – at this point, I don't think that Ron Hackstall is going to let loose this coach that he put so much stock in and who, who made the playoffs with a, a couple long winning streaks the second half of the season. All that being said, I, I just – I don't think – Dave Haxtell is, is the head coach that's going to lead this team to playoff success. And he just, the reason being, he just, he does not make the necessary adjustments that you have to make in the playoffs, right? In, in the regular season, your top end talent can get you by to a certain extent, right? And you don't have to play the matchups as much. Um, but when it comes to the playoffs, every single line change is scrutinized. Every line of decision is scrutinized. And that's where, Getting out coached, like Dave Axtell seems to be, you know, getting out coached is is going to prevent this team from taking it to the next level, which is what Mike Sullivan is so good at doing. Is he always he's always does the right things. You know, Dave Axtell decides that Travis Sanheim needs to come out of the lineup against the Penguins. 
if you watch the games against the Penguins, the defensemen who they feast on are guys like Radko Gudis and Brandon Manning, who are slow and can't move the puck and get trapped in their own zone. The Penguins force turnovers with their aggressive forecheck and score goals. Travis Sanheim is the perfect defenseman to try and combat the Penguins' forecheck. He's fast. He's make great outlet passes. Maybe he doesn't play with as much uh, heaviness as Hackstall likes to talk about, but that's not what you need against the Penguins. So, you know, that that's just one of the decisions. I mean, playing Gudis and Manning as their second pair for most of the series is another one of those decisions. You know, putting Filpio on the first line paid off for one game, but again, not really a great decision. Dale Weiss comes back into the lineup and he's on the power play. Like, what, what sense does that make? I mean, it's just mind-boggling decision after mind-boggling decision from this head coach. I just don't think he's... I don't think he's smart enough to do what is needed to, you know, get this team past well-coached teams in the playoffs. So I don't think he's going to get fired this offseason. I think eventually he'll get fired because Hextall will have to admit that he, he's just not the, the coach for this team. But, um, but I don't know. I just I, – I don't think he's going to get fired this offseason, much to the chagrin of most Flyers fans. I think uh, as far as the playoffs go – the move or lack of move that angered me the most was Travis Konechny never being put back on the first line. And it just it blows my mind, first of all, that he was ever taken off of the first line to begin with because of the success that they had at the end of the regular season. And you see in the first game and in game three how much your team is struggling to score and especially in Game 3, Konechny coming off scoring in Game 2, so you would think, you know, all right, while Game 3 is happening, all right, we don't have it today, so let's put, let's change it up. Let's go with what worked before. Let's put Konechny on the top line and tell that and just tell them to go and do what you do what they've done so many times previously. And you're right. Philpa being a top-line center during the playoffs, it's a joke. I don't know why he was afraid or hesitant to ever move. I mean, it's the playoffs. You have to do desperate things because it's a desperate time of year. I don't know why Giroux was never moved back to center and why you have to just get so hard-headed and so stuck in your ways. Especially, it's not like it's not like he had the fact that Claude Giroux was playing well as a crutch to say, well, that's why I didn't move him off the wing because he was playing so well because he wasn't. Claude Giroux was a minus 10, 13 for the series. This is, I mean, that's ridiculous. And he just, he never moved them. It blows my mind. This team fell apart in the playoffs, and all the coach did was stand there on the bench with his thumb up his ass and let it happen. And that's just and that's just okay to the general manager, I guess, because the team's young. I mean, it, it's it's almost it, it's a fireable offense, one thousand percent, to be that bad at your job when you're supposed to be at the top of your game at your job, and for you to not get fired for being that bad when it matters the most. It it blows my mind. I will never understand it. I don't know when this when this guy. This clueless man is going to get fired by the Flyers, but it cannot come soon enough. 
and we're probably going to have another wasted year next year because he's going to do the same shit next year. And if they make the playoffs, he's going to do the same shit again in the playoffs. And we're just going to be standing there again with our hands in our pocket like, well, it's just another rebuilding year. The coach will hopefully figure it out. I, You know, Hexel, I have all the faith in the world in him. I mean, Hexall's been around this game long enough. He's got he's got to just know when a guy has it and doesn't have it. And Dave Hextall does not have it. We are three years into this dude at this point, and he doesn't have it. He doesn't have a clue. He doesn't get how to coach an NHL team, and it is apparent game in and game out, and it was exposed royally to the whole world, to the whole league in the playoffs, and he made the Flyers an absolute laughing stock from game one to game six. Yeah, I, I'm shocked I forget about the Travis Konechny thing because I ranted about that on Twitter during the series. I mean, how do you – here's a list of players that had more ice time on a per-game basis than Travis Konechny. Wayne Simmons, Valtteri Filpula, um, Brandon Manning, Radko Gudis. I mean, Travis Konechny was arguably your – most electric, most dynamic, most dangerous goal scorer the second half of the season, and you're burying him in the playoffs with 13 minutes of ice time a game, how do you not put him back on the top line with – that was far and away the Flyers' best line during the season was when they put Konechny up there with Couturier and Giroux. And I have no idea how you don't put him up on the top line. He's one of the only players who was showing fire at one point, just – you know, rabble-rousing, hitting anything that moved. I don't understand what Dave Haxtell doesn't like about Travis Konechny, and it's just, it's infuriating. And if I'm with these, I bet you behind closed doors, these young kids just sit around talking to each other, like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, we can't stand this guy. So, no, you're right. I mean, it's, the day that he's fired, you know, can't come soon enough. They obviously hired Chris Knobloch as an assistant coach last offseason. And I'd be interested to, uh, you know, to hear some inside thoughts about how he did. Um, he seemed like just a smarter guy than Dave Haxtell. Maybe they give him another year or two of seasoning and then have him replace Haxtell. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, just so many questionable decisions that just make you want to. I mean, how, how would he not put Haig and Sandheim in the lineup at the same time? Like, he keeps trotting out Gudis and Manning. Those guys are terrible and really cost us in that series. I wonder, like... I almost think with Konechny, maybe it's like an attitude thing. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I've never met the guy off the ice. I don't know how he is outside of, you know, little interviews. Oh, he's got a great attitude. Yeah, well, um, when I say attitude, I don't mean like, you know, he's an asshole or he doesn't care about the game, but like maybe because he's such a young guy that maybe, you know, he jokes around too much in the locker room and – and Hackstall thinks that he doesn't take it seriously enough, or he thinks he's unprofessional, he thinks he's immature. Who the hell knows what it is about him? But there obviously is. There is there is an apparent favoritism on this team that is so obvious to everybody that knows anything, that watches this team for, like, you watch this, game, this team for two games in a row, and you could pick out who the favorite players are of the coach, and it's all of the worst fucking players on the team. And the best guy, one of the best guys, one of the guys that, produces the most for you is just like he, he's like what do i have to do for this guy to believe in me and to put me in the best positions for this team to win games I, 
it, it, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I, I mean, it's almost like he has that. It's like he can't get out of his college way of coaching to where, you know, you're tough on players and, you know, you affect their ice time and make an example of them and that'll show them. Well, the thing is, you're doing it too much to the point where you just screwed your team out of a playoff series because if you were just like your just insistence on on doing the same shit over and over again when it's right in front of you and not working. I, it's I, I'm I'm literally like out of things to say about this coach because I I, I it's like it, honestly he's like screaming at the wall next to me because that it, it, that's about as much progress as we're gonna get on this whole front. Yeah, and that's kind of why I don't like talking about it just because it's I it's I don't know how the coach the coach is obviously it's a different situation right he put a lot of a lot of trust in him a lot of stock in him and it's it would be a huge move for him to fire Dave Paxton especially a season after a season where they made the playoffs uh but the the good news for Flyers fans is that expectations are going to keep getting higher and higher for this team as these young kids get older as Hextall makes move to improve the team and so you would think that Hextall would be held to a much higher standard moving forward and if he's as bad a coach as we think he is then that will start getting um you know, that will start uh, getting displayed uh, to and exploited to and, and shown to, to uh, the GM. So, you know, that's that's one of the hopes that we've got to have. Um, you know, the goaltending situation we've talked about a lot. That's going to be really interesting is, is we're here and Carter Hart gets ready to uh, for game three of the WHL semifinals tonight. That series is tied 1-1 and Carter Hart's been as he has been the whole season, phenomenal. That situation is if, if they don't re-sign, or if they, you know, they don't re-sign Morazic, you've got Elliot and Neuberth under contract for next season, but I'll be surprised if they don't try and say trade Neuberth, and if they trade Neuberth, they're going to need a backup goalie. So I don't know what they're going to do with that spot, but, but Carter Hart's turning pro next season. He had in my mind, the greatest goaltending season in the history of the Canadian Junior Leagues. He's a guy that will probably start with the Phantoms, but if he's playing really well in the AHL and there's an injury, I think you're going to have to start the Carter Hart era for the Flyers potentially next year. And so that could be a really exciting thing for Flyers fans. Obviously, he's going to have to prove that he can play well in the AHL and for goaltenders going to the professional level from the juniors is a huge leap. And a lot of guys who are very good in juniors simply can't handle the speed of the professional game, but I'm pretty sure Carter Hart's going to be able to handle it. So that's one exciting thing to look for. Um, another prospect note in the, uh, in the OHL, there's two flyers in the semifinals, Morgan Frost, who is one of the best players in the OHL during the regular season. And has been one of the, top players during the playoffs. His uh, Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds are up two games to none, although they are losing tonight, but they're up two games to none. Uh, and Matthew Strome, who's been great in the playoffs, he scored like 37 goals in the regular season. He's been really good in the playoffs. His Hamilton Bulldogs are up three games to none. So nice. we could have an OHL final, which is Morgan Frost versus Matthew Strome. And uh, Carter Hart might get to the finals of the WHL. So, there's still some exciting hockey left for Flyers fans. Another piece of 
of news today was that Oscar Lindblom and Travis Sanheim were sent back down to the Phantoms. Yes, so the Phantoms, the Phantoms are going to be absolutely loaded for the playoff run. You're going to hopefully see a Phil Myers, Travis Sanheim pairing. You've got Lindblom, Isaac Ratcliffe, who is one of the really good junior goal scorers for the Flyers, is playing for the for the Phantoms now. So there's a lot of excitement with the Phantoms, and yeah, you know, there's going to be some interesting prospects up to see over the next few weeks. Maybe you can um, help the people out because I know you uh, watch a lot of these games. For the listeners out there that want to be able to watch these junior league playoffs, how um, how do you go about watching these games? So, unfortunately, it's uh, you can find some free streams like inhockey.net, I think. Uh, I don't really use a lot of those just because it can mess up your – computer i don't know i always seem to get viruses when i ever i use any of those things but um you really have to buy the packages and they're they're not cheap um if you search it's new lion n-e-u-l-i-o-n the company that does the streaming for the ohl and the whl so you just stream like whl streaming packages or ohl and the playoff packages aren't as expensive as the regular season but those are typically the ways to watch those games so um you know, but here's the good news is that if the the winners of the Canadian Junior League, so the OHL champion, the WHL champion, and the Quebec League champion all go forward to the Memorial Cup, which is basically the you know, the combined champions league. Mm-hmm. And if those team if if you know, that that's on NHL network. So nice. the Memorial Cup's on NHL Network. I'd say there's a pretty good chance that there will be at least a few Flyers prospects in that, and it would be very exciting if uh, Carter Hart's Everett Silvertips win the WHL Championship and Morgan Frost wins the OHL Championship, and you can see Morgan Frost against Carter Hart uh, in the Memorial Cup on NHL Network, and those are the two best Flyers prospects right now. Nice. lot chock-full information out of you. Um Final thing here, I want to circle back real quick to something we talked about uh, at the beginning of this episode, and that is the fans uh, for the game. You know, the, obviously you were down there at Game Six, like we talked about the throwing of shit on the ice, the uh, you know, the just the restlessness and the uneasiness on for all three of the home games for the Flyers. Flyers fans in Philadelphia have always gotten this bad rap as, you know, you always hear the, or I always hear the term anyway, the Stepford Flyers fan, you know, the whole, the Flyers can do what they want and we'll just sit there and take it, you know, just they can smack us in the face and we'll just say, thank you, can I have another? Do you see that blind loyalty to the Flyers starting to go away a little bit? Because I do. I think, I think that the fans are really lately these last couple of years and i think the coach has a lot to do with it i think that they're finally starting to treat the flyers like they would the eagles or the sixers or the phillies where if they're not performing if they're doing things that the fans don't agree with or that they don't like that they're flying they're finally starting to turn up the heat on the team a little bit because they're realizing it's been 40 plus years since we won a championship and we're really not that close right now so are you with me on that? Do you see the fans really starting to turn up the pressure on the Flyers organization as a whole? Yeah, I think that I think that social media has really enabled fans 
to voice their opinions and at least see what other fans are saying. So I think that I think it's probably a bit unfair to label Flyers fans as, as Stepford fans in the past, just because I'm sure that there were a large group of Flyers fans that, you know, didn't like the decision to bring Eric Lindros back uh, when the team was one win away from going to the Stanley Cup and he comes back and, and of course, they lose two straight to the Devils in devastating fashion and Lindros gets destroyed by Scott Stevens. I'm sure there were some fans that were upset, right? We, there wasn't really a platform to voice those frustrations. So I think that social media is now really allowing fans to voice those displeasures. So we're seeing those displeasures a lot more. Additionally, there's a, there are exponentially more things competing for people's time nowadays, right? I mean, you're even when you're at the game, you see a lot of people on their phones. I don't know what they're playing HQ trivia or, you know, <laughs> game, you know, Tetris or whatever the games are they play on their phone. People, you know, do all kinds of stuff. They're watching Netflix at home. So I, I think that fact means that when people are spending their money to go to a Flyers game, they are, they're being a lot more critical because they're, they're deciding to spend their money on a Flyers game when they could be doing other things. And the fact that this coach is a disaster, you know, upsets them more. So, you know, I, I think you do hear more complaining from Flyers fans now, but I think it's because there's more of a voice from all the fans to, to realize that, right? Like I know that back in the day, and this might be predating a lot of the listeners, there's a defenseman named Dan McGillis, who drove yes. fans crazy because he didn't he didn't really hit anyone. Braden Coburn was kind of the same way. They were these big defensemen who everyone expected to be really physical, and they just weren't. I feel like if Twitter was around back then, people would have been complaining about it, and it would have been a snowball rolling down a mountain, and you would have heard people at games more saying, oh, this guy, this guy, you know, can't, it's not physical. It's like the, the Andrew McDonald thing, right? Flyers fans can't stand Andrew McDonald. I think a lot of that's because of what you see on, on Twitter. And you know, people getting their information there. And, and it's, it makes it a lot easier to criticize players. So, you know, I'm not sure that the, how much things have changed with the actual people. Cause I think people are people and human nature is human nature. But I do think that uh, social media has allowed people to voice those opinions more. Well, I'm sure the flyers are thrilled for social media and, uh, <laughs> I know whoever, whatever intern, uh, I always like when team accounts, the interns that are like running them when they put out the tweet, like, you know, this is just the Twitter account. We're not the actual team. Well, you know, that's just, that's just part of something you have to deal with when you're the official Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever of the team. And, you know, the team just got shit on the day before. And then you put out the tweet of like a picture of practice, like, Oh, back at it. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's really that's that's usually going to generate more negative feedback than it is positive. But I mean, Twitter's a great thing for that. And I, I've caught shit before on Twitter. You know, I think uh, it was like after an Eagles game, Carson Wentz last year, his rookie year had a bad game. You know, he threw a couple interceptions or whatever. And I tweeted something at him and people got on me. You know, why are you being so negative to him? This and that. Well, that's what Twitter is. You know, that's. It's it's such a cool thing, Twitter, because you have this fan-to-player, fan-to-team interaction that you've never had before. You know, if, if our parents, you know, back before 
this PC age and everything like that, you know, if our parents had Twitter, you know, it would have been shut down long ago because it would have just been too much to handle. So I think you're right. The social media thing is obviously the biggest driving factor in all that. And it's an awesome thing from a fan perspective to be able to voice our opinions and, uh, you know, almost have these open and group therapy sessions where, you know, something awful happens on the team. We all get to vent together and we all get to, you know, we fight with each other. We laugh with each other. It's, it's a good family group dynamic there, but I can't imagine the team is uh, too excited about it. So yeah, we'll see, but you know, it is what it is. And right now the season's over. There's obviously a lot of playoffs left to go for the NHL. Hopefully the, you know, the first round matchups weren't all that great. Hopefully it picks up coming here into the, uh, you know, once this second round opens up, but, uh, you know, maybe, uh, next episode will look more broad at the, uh, the league as a whole and, uh, really start to build up momentum for the NHL draft coming June 23rd, which is one hell of a date, by the way, because yours truly was born that day. So, uh, Another exciting thing to think about as the as the draft approaches. But Dan, if people want to see you be uh you know be called out, not called out, but be uh promoted by Dave Isaac and you know all your little interesting tidbits on Twitter, where would they find you at? So you can follow me on Twitter at, at dsilver88, and I do want to take a second just to thank all the people that right. follow me on Twitter. Um, you know, it's really appreciated. I know that, uh, you know, we all get a little fired up sometimes and I get fired up sometimes. And so I really, really appreciate the people that sort of appreciate that and follow me. And, and, you know, I really do, uh, um, just look forward to interacting with people on Twitter and talking about the flyers. So it's, I don't know, it's, 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 it really has improved the way that people watch games and communicate with each other so you know twitter find me at dsilver88 and you know you can also check out our articles at www.phillyisflyer.com we'll have lots of great off-season content for you uh, at some point probably after the memorial cup i'll be doing an updated list of the flyers top prospects so got that to look forward to and uh you know got a lot of good articles so check it out phillyisflyer.com yeah and as for me kind of kind of uh you know want to say the same that dan did you know can't really thank you people enough for listening to the podcast going on the website you know there's so much content now from all these different outlets for the flyers or so many different fan sites and blogs and things like that and there's you know there's websites and podcasts that have more access to the team than we do so you know, I, when I started this podcast, you know, over a little over a year ago, this point might might even be just on a year ago. You know, I never thought that it would uh, be accepted and embraced as much as it has. And you know, obviously, bringing Dan on was huge because the guy knows just about as much as anybody out there on Twitter or otherwise when it comes to the flyers and the prospects and everything. So Dan, thank you. You've been huge for this whole thing. Um, yeah, I just can't say enough about Philly as flyer for accepting me a year ago and letting me be their podcast partner, their podcast voice. So a lot of good things, a lot of good things to come in the years to come. And, uh, hopefully we get to keep this thing going. But as for me on Twitter, you could follow me at Mark Flagman. That's with two N's. You could follow this show 
at underscore getting bullied. And of course, follow the mothership of the whole thing at phillyisflyer.com. Uh, at Philly is Flyer and of course phillyisflyer.com and check out all the great writers over there well that's it another regular season in the books but we aren't going anywhere we have an action packed off season ahead of us starting with the draft the excitement is going to start to build in the next couple weeks and you can't wait so until the next episode whenever it comes next week or whenever closer to the draft doesn't matter until then let's go Flyers and good night Sweden